self-proclaimed feminist Justin Trudeau, the leader of the Liberal Party and Canada's Prime Minister, is running for re-election with his sights set on a majority government. I say self-proclaimed feminist because that seems to be all he is. Today, we take a look at Justin Trudeau's feminism and how it's terrible for women. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. We have an, a special episode for you today, sort of like an election special episode. You know, we we had talked about this one for a while, but now with the election coming up, we really want to highlight some of the terrible sort of attributes and, and you know, things that Justin Trudeau, our leader, has done. We want to respect him as our leader, but certainly recognize the many failures that we see there. So my name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And with me again is Cameron Cote, the wonderful co-host who, when he introduces himself, is going to show us that T-shirt he has on. Look at that. Oh, man, Peter. It's good to be back. Good to be back on the show. Good to see you again. And as you mentioned, we finally got in our third T-shirt design. We've got two others, but this this one has like a weird spot in my heart right now because I'm still not super comfortable wearing <laughs> a T-shirt that's got my own face on it. Um, our, our graphic designer who developed the, the images is wonderful and obviously charitable because you can see in the picture that I have no gray hair and you can see in the video that I have plenty of gray hair. I don't know why my beard stays red, <laughs> but believe it or not, my hair used to be red like it is in the cartoon, but I'm going to cling to this cartoon for a while. We've got this T-shirt. We've got one that is just a simple logo. Pro-life guys, change minds, save lives, transform culture. And we've got the one that focuses more on that slogan, change minds, save lives, transform culture, because that's what we're all about here at the Pro-Life Guys podcast, giving you the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that you can be a part of this incredible educational movement, which is, as I mentioned, changing minds, saving lives, transforming our culture. I'm fired up about these t-shirts. I'm fired up about the other swag that we've got coming in. Um, but more importantly than that, I am excited about the content that we are covering today, Peter. I feel like this could be a bit of a spicy episode. I feel like not only because Justin Trudeau is held as the darling of many Canadians, but also because we're going to be wading into a very interesting and very, in some ways, divisive topic of what is feminism? Is feminism... Um, what what was feminism? What is feminism now? What does feminism actually look like? What should it look like? All that kind of stuff. This is not something I, I don't think that has the same degree of definition as to when does human life begin sort of thing. I think that is a non-negotiable item that can be proved empirically sort of thing. Um, obviously, today, there's going to be a lot of personal opinions in how we understand feminism to be um, defined, how we understand it to best be defined, all that kind of stuff. And so please give us your, your comments and feedback. But that's a really long, rambly way of me introducing myself. Peter, how are you doing? I rarely ask how you're actually doing. What's up? How are you? Thank you, sir. I am doing well. Uh, we are recording this on a Friday. It's a Friday afternoon. It's a warm Friday. Uh, it's a long weekend, which is great. I have classes coming up at school because I'm doing part-time schools. My part-time studies are continuing. And so uh, overall, thank you for asking, sir. I'm doing very, very well. As you said, we're talking about Justin Trudeau's feminism. And let me just set the stage a little bit. You did a great introduction. I'll highlight how Justin Trudeau says he is a feminist. This is what he says. And I quote, I am going to keep saying loud and clear that I'm a feminist until it is met with a shrug, end quote. 
But not only does he say that he's a feminist, he says he raises his sons to be feminists, and he calls all other men to be loud and proud feminists as well. He says, and I quote, it is so important that we all understand that it's not only that women can be feminists, it's that all men should be feminists as well. Um, being a feminist for me means recognizing that men and women should be, can be, must be equal. And secondly, that we still have an awful lot of work to do. We need to take back what it means to be a man. And that means being open, compassionate, respectful, and brave about standing up for our feminism, end quote. And then he says that uh, in, in another spot, and I quote, men have to be a big part of this conversation. That role we have as men in supporting and demanding equality and demanding a shift is really, really important. And so Justin Trudeau is a feminist. He calls himself one. He trains his children to be uh, feminists as well. And he calls you and I, Cam, to be, be, to be feminists and every other uh, man that's listening to this episode right now. But let's talk briefly about what his behavior indicates in terms of the sort of feminism that he lives out. Not just the feminism that he talks, but the feminism that he lives out. And 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 I, I think that's a great way of doing it. And and largely in this episode, like you said, we're going to be talking about his actions and whether they reflect his statements that, that he said on so many occasions. I think it's important to, to lay out there, as I alluded to, um, what are we talking about with regards to feminism? I think that that um, a lot of what you said, a lot of what he said actually um, is part of feminism. I can't say that I am an expert on the different waves of feminism, right? Like I, you see a lot of stuff from like Alice Paul, first wave feminism and how she rejected abortion wholeheartedly and thought it was a terrible, terrible thing and, and a way of making women subservient to men. Um, I, I hear people talk to me all the time be like, oh yeah, I'm a pro-life feminist and I'm like a, a seventh wave feminist sort of thing. And like, that is far too convoluted for me. I, I would certainly be open to people helping me understand better the waves of feminism and whatnot. But I think that in its simplest capacity, without getting into a ton of conversations about um, how it, it plays out in the absolute um, details in the mud, in, in many ways, in my mind at least, and, and I'm open to correction if I'm wrong, feminism is how do we respect, how do we love women? How, how do we love women made in God's image and likeness? How do we love what some would characterize the fairer sex? How do we love our neighbor and our neighbors specifically who are women? And I think that at some point over the last 50 years, through the sexual revolution, through whatever other terrible influences, abortion access has become what was once kind of sewn on in a Frankenstein-esque um, surgery to, to try to lump this in with what it meant to be a feminist. It has now seemingly become more and more integral. And yet I, I want to try to separate it out and say that there's feminism that loves and respects and cares for and supports women in the workplace, in the home, wherever it is, genuinely loves women. And then there is throwing abortion at them and suggesting that by willing, being willing to kill their children, um, that is somehow loving them. But that's kind of a, we can do one, we can do the other, we can do both of them. I would be firmly in the camp that we need to love and respect and honor women far more than we currently are doing. I would, I would agree with Justin Trudeau's call to men to uphold the dignity of every woman. Um, 
Pope St. John Paul II, um, for those who be familiar with him, um, had, had many quotes about how it is the duty and responsibility of every man to uphold the inherent and beautiful dignity of every woman. Um, this is in large part what I think it means to be a fella. Um, and yet, as we're going to go through and as we're going to talk about some of these decisions and actions that Justin Trudeau has made throughout not only his... Um, time as Prime Minister of Canada, but also um, long before that, it, it kind of looks like he's willing to compromise on the actually loving and respecting and caring for women and figures that he can cover up for, for that by throwing more and more abortions their way and saying, if I give you all of this abortion access, can I actually respect you far less and treat you disdainfully and and very crudely at times? Um, that's what I think is is kind of on the go. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. But Peter, let's dive into some of the stuff that has happened, and and this might be a walk through memory lane for some people. Um, but let's dive into it. Yeah, sounds good. So I'm going to start things off in 2015 when he. Uh, became the prime minister for the first time. He described himself as that feminist and then unveiled Canada's first gender-balanced cabinet. And one of the things I remember, Cam, about this gender-balanced cabinet is that his justification for it was, and I quote, because it's 2015, end quote. And when we think about that six years later, it just sounds so foreign and 40 years ago and so like old-fashioned. Um how this was a justification that people accepted back then, I'd, I didn't understand back then, but it certainly sounds super ridiculous at this moment. Um, but he had this gender sort of inclusive cabinet, which meant that uh, 50% of, of his cabinet were men, 50% of his cabinet were women. And so in that way, was showing that he respected the women who he, the women who he uh, had in his cabinet. But then there's this case, Cam, that sort of shows that Yes, the women can be in his cabinet, but no, they can't have their own opinions that are different than the opinions that he has. And that's in the case of Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former um, attorney general of Canada. And there was this SNC-Lavalin uh, case uh, and scandal that was taking place. And Cam, I wonder if you could just elaborate on some of those details briefly to give us an idea of what was going on and how it was that sort of Jody Wilson-Raybould and and then uh, another colleague of hers, Jane Philpott, sort of fell from grace in the Liberal Party and got kicked from the Liberal caucus. Yeah, absolutely. And and a clarification for those who are not familiar with Canada's kind of legislative assemblies and whatnot, the, the Attorney General is not actually a cabinet position. However, Jody Wilson-Raybould was the Attorney General, somebody who is something of a liaison between... Um, the monarchy of England, Canada being a constitutional monarchy, a very influential person in Canada. And she was basically bullied nonstop for weeks and months on end to try to cover up this scandal that Justin Trudeau had been a part of. He and his staff um, took months trying to convince her that taking the company to trial would cause Canadian jobs and all this kind of stuff. It's not worth it. Um, she was subject to a ton of veiled threats through her account um, that made her believe that she was going to get pushed out of government entirely and fallen from grace and, and slandered and, and dragged through the mud if she didn't support Justin Trudeau. Not a very caring and compassionate thing, in my humble opinion. Um, unfortunately, something that often goes along with politics, but certainly not a very affirming thing, especially not if men are, are called to go above and beyond in our care and compassion and respect towards women. Definitely not in there. Um, 
And then in August, this independent federal ethics commission released a report of an investigation that said that um, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had violated Conflict of Interest Act through this pressuring, through all of the stuff that he had been doing. The commissioner, Mario Dion, said the prime minister directly and through his senior officials used various means to exert influence over Ms. Wilson-Raybould. The result was that um, she and, as you mentioned, Jane Philpott, who also voiced her concerns, were kicked out of the Liberal Party caucus and and not um, allowed to have any say in, in what was going on. And the conclusion was that they were not um, could be part of this gender-balanced um, caucus, which, I mean, if, if a caucus is gender-balanced, if, if it's 100% women, if it's 100% men, um, if, if it's done by the most capable people, then that's great. But if you're kicked out because you disagree with the prime minister, then that's obviously problematic. And, and certainly does not show well, I don't think, Peter, when it comes to um, his commitment to respect and care and compassion towards women, just in general, or, or to his fellow human beings. I think that this conduct would have been despicable if it had been directed to a fella as much as it would have been and, and is being directed towards these two ladies who were very, very committed to upholding justice and making sure that this scandal was not swept under the rug. Um, you could be part of his gender-balanced um, caucus so long as you didn't disagree with him too fervently. And so that, that's just one of the first things that, that came about once he became the prime minister. But but obviously, the allegations and, and his conduct towards women, Peter, was not something that he had a sterling record of necessarily before he became prime minister either, was it? No, that's right. Yeah. And in 2018, there were some groping allegations that came out. Uh, the groping allegations came out that had taken place about 18 years prior or so. And so uh, that became sort of this scandal and, and a newsworthy item as well for a short time. The Daily Mail had published a column detailing allegations that he had groped a female reporter at a music festival in British Columbia about 18 years ago, they said, uh, 18 years before 2018. Um, but then Trudeau, in his sort of defense, said that he, quote, doesn't remember any negative interactions, end quote, from that day. So that's what he says now. But this is what he said to the reporter when he groped her then. And this is what she said uh, that he said. And the quote is, I'm sorry if I had known you were reporting for a national paper, I never would have been so forward, end quote. Basically, if I knew that you had a platform, if I knew that there was an opportunity that this was going to perhaps become public, I wouldn't have been so forward because it's far easier to sort of take advantage of someone if they're in a situation where they're not able to write about it or talk about it more openly than, uh, than others. And he did go on to say that, and I quote, I've been reflecting very carefully on what I remember from that incident almost 20 years ago. I do not feel that I acted inappropriately in any way. But I respect the fact that someone else might have experienced that differently, end quote. Now, Cam, I, I don't know if you can speak to this, but there has been a lot of work, certainly in recent days and in, in the past decade, uh, up about the, around the conversation of sex abuse and assault and how to respond to women, uh, the importance of believing women and certainly taking their, uh, their testimony seriously. Now, of course, you know, there are going to be women and there have been in the past that have made false allegations. Um, but any allegation not to be uh, looked into, any allegation not to be taken seriously. Uh, and it, one of the very callous things that you can say to that is, you know what, I reflected on the past, I reflected on what I had done. Um, 
I don't think I acted, I acted uh, incorrectly and inappropriately, but hey, I respect if they experienced it differently, which basically is saying, I don't think I did anything wrong, but I respect the fact that they felt like they were being groped by me. This is not comforting at all to women, I would imagine. And uh, there certainly were, it certainly came to a head as well when he had kicked a number of members out of his caucus because there were allegations that were less serious about them. Um, and he kicked them out with with certainly no repercussions for himself because he's the leader and uh, and he's the feminist, as he says. Any thoughts that you have about this, this situation? Yeah, I, I think that, that, again, this isn't simply a matter of trying to mudsling at, at Justin Trudeau. Certainly, I, I am very much hoping that he mm -hmm. does not continue as our Prime Minister of Canada. This isn't simply trying to tarnish his character, though. I think that this, again, needs to speak into what does it mean to genuinely want to respect and honor women? And, and this is not doing that. Obviously, a, a very profound, very deep apology, I think, could be very appropriate in this position. A very private, hopefully, reconciliation between him and, and the affected parties and whatnot. I've spoken at length. I, I don't know how often I've spoken at, on the podcast, but I've, I've certainly spoken um, at other events. We, we did a crash course here, Peter, you and I, in Calgary a couple of weeks ago, where I spoke about it a lot and how how it boils my blood, how p people in positions of power, tragically, um, very frequently fellas like Justin Trudeau, like many athletes that are playing professional sports and whatnot, are able to avoid any ramifications of their pure and, and what I, I'll go on a limb and say, pure evil disrespect towards women, the groping, the sexual um, um, conduct and, and assault and all this kind of thing. Like, this is not fair to women at all, especially with the power balance, right? That, that this is despicable even when there isn't a power balance and you don't have somebody who's a, a national icon or leader and, and a, a reporter who doesn't have anywhere near the platform or profile or, or strings that can be pulled to, to push this under the rug. Um, it's absolutely despicable to see it happen in all cases. And yet it just frustrates me all the more when it happens with such a severe power um, imbalance we we see it with um to throw a couple names out there i'm sure people have seen it in the news deshaun watson and countless others um that that th this is inappropriate and and this isn't just mudslinging but this is building the case of what does it mean to truly love women we're going to go through another couple cases that that are showing that how Justin Trudeau is trying to love women is not actually loving women. A few other cases where he's been very disrespectful, and then we'll go into how he's in some ways try to cover that up through his abortion access. And so um, let us be clear, this isn't just a matter of mudslinging at him, but rather how do we actually love women and how can politicians actually love women? Do they actually love them in their conduct around them and how they treat them? Or do they love them by just giving them more abortion access? And so I know that's a bit of an aside again, Peter, but I, I think that's valuable for the listeners to recognize that what does it mean to love women, especially within politics? But let, let's move on to the next one, I, I think. Um, do you want to introduce the the um, scandal and, and happenstance around Rachel Harder and and her removal as the, the chair of what I believe was the women's committee or, or something of that nature. We've got it in the notes. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, the status of women committee. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, the conservatives had uh, nominated uh, Rachel Harder, who's a fantastic politician, to be the chair of the status of women committee. But liberal MPs, uh, the Justin Trudeau's MPs, they walked out of a committee in 2017 in opposition to that pick 
And they, uh, Justin Trudeau and his team worked extremely hard with the NDP to make sure that Rachel Harder did not become the chair of that committee, opting instead for her pro-abortion colleague, uh, Karen Vecchio. Now, why did they do this if they support women is the question, right? Especially, you know, we're not just talking about any sort of committee. We're talking about the status of women committee. We're talking about fighting against a woman to be a chair of the status woman of women committee. Uh, seems like a particularly hypocritical and, and unfeminist thing to do. Um, but the reason it's, be, it's become clear is it's because of her opposition or her position on abortion, really. And, and not only her position on abortion, there are two main sort of things that came up. Yes, it's her position on abortion, but there are also some some points that were referenced in articles and, and analysis that we read that the Liberal Party and Justin Trudeau were not very big fans of. One is uh, Molly and Cassie's law, Cam. Could you highlight briefly what Molly and Cassie's law is and just show that in a sense, it's not actually about abortion. It's about, you know, parents who want to keep their children who are unborn and then have those children killed by other people. Yeah. So th this was, yeah. So Molly and Cassie's law was a, a piece of pro-life legislation brought forward by member of parliament, Cass Kathy Wagenthal, who we've actually had featured on this show before on her most recent legislation that she brought forward. And what this law did was basically seek to make killing a pregnant mother um, have two criminal offenses, not only killing the mother, but also killing her child to dignify and recognize the humanity of that child. And, and this came up um, several years ago. It was championed by our colleagues over at the Association for Foreign Political Action, ARPA Canada. Um, and this was just one piece of pro-life legislation that she thought was important to recognize to um, especially with regards to the status of women in Canada that recognize women and their children whether that child is, is male or female, recognize that motherhood is an inherent and a beautiful and incredible part of being a woman. And she took that one step further with other um, pro-life conviction components in the Status of Women Committee when she championed um, the, the conversation around gender-selective abortions as well, Peter, this idea that we should be asking questions as to whether gender-selective abortion, something that... Um, happen in Canada, as we've talked about on this program before, whether that is appropriate, whether that is fitting to happen in Canada, or whether a committee specifically designed for championing the status of women in this country um, should be allowed or not. And so these, um, these very relevant, very important areas of her pro-life worldview and how they impact actually loving and caring women at all stages of life, at all stages of development, even from the very moment of when our life begins existing at fertilization, were deemed um, inconvenient, impractical, inappropriate as somebody who would be the chair of the committee for um, the, the status of women in Canada. And so she was removed because though she was a woman and it was great to have a woman on the chair, that woman had to agree with Justin Trudeau and, and his policies. And so he was happy to support somebody else's candidacy, uh, even another woman, so long as that woman agreed with him on whether or not abortion access was integral to loving women in this country, I guess. Yeah, and I th I, we've talked about it before, but I think it's important to note that upwards of 90% of Canadians are opposed to gender selection abortion, sex selective abortion. So it's not like her opinion was some crazy opinion that was way out there. But for, for Trudeau, uh, his record shows that he didn't actually care for Cassie and Molly's law, uh, didn't care for little baby Molly, who was a female herself, 
uh, and her life. And so, you know, couldn't get his party to vote um, in a way that would respect and represent her life. Um, but it shows. So while it shows that Molly had no uh, representation and no voice in Justin Trudeau's party and in Justin Trudeau's government, uh, no one who stood up for Molly would have any either. And so really, it shows that Trudeau is pro-women, but like you said, and unlike was highlighted, only if those women uh, aren't Molly, who was killed against her parents' wishes, and only if those women aren't someone like Rachel Harder, who thinks that protecting girls like Molly in the womb and other girls and guys in the womb as well is good and right. And so that really segues nicely into the topic of abortion, because, of course, Justin Trudeau's feminism supports abortion. He said his party is going to be pro-abortion. He said we became a pro-choice party when they res or when they chose a resolutely pro-choice leader. He said, and then he said that uh, apparently uh, abortion access happens to be a charter right in Canada. Uh, and this is a quote: "I quote the Liberal Party is the party of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms." He said, since 1988, the Supreme Court of Canada has recognized that a woman's right to choose to choice in this matter is a charter right upheld by the constitution and the liberal party end quote. And then he, when he's, when he's talking about pro-life work in general, he says he's that he says that he is deeply disappointed by the backsliding on women's rights that we're seeing in some places around the world, including American States. And he's also mentioned the organization we work for the Canadian center for bioethical Re reform by name as well. Now, Cam, you have a theory in, in the, in terms of Justin Trudeau's feminism when it comes to abortion and sort of this, you know, I'm a feminist and abortion is sort of the, the greatest indication of that. Maybe just highlight that a little bit. Yeah. And, and so obviously his conduct of, as we've seen in, and other examples of him bowling over women in, in the House of Parliament and whatnot, he's trying to cover this up by supporting abortion as much as he possibly can by winning over um, the other true feminists in his opinion by saying that um, to be equal in the eyes of Canadians, to be equal in the eyes of the Liberal Party of Canada, you have to be able to kill your preborn child. That's what it means to be an equal woman, that you are no longer um, shackled by, by pregnancy, by motherhood, these beautiful things that only women can do that have made them so special and so beautiful and incredible throughout all of human history. Now, the only way that we can ever consider women to be equal is by giving them the ability to kill their child for any reason or no stated reason whatsoever. Um, and it seems through a lot of his actions that he is hoping to cover a lot of his genuine blunders and and genuine disrespect and lack of 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 true love towards women, whether his colleagues or women of the country, whether born or preborn, by simply trying to cover this up by saying that that he's going to give abortion access to whomever it is that would like it, whether on our shores or even on distant shores. He obviously was very, very opposed to the most recent legislation that has come forward um, with regards to abortion, Sex Selective um, Abortion Act, which was Bill C-233. We had Kathy Wackendall on to talk about that. This is legislation that is all about supporting, respecting, and loving women. Right, R women right from the moment of their fertilization, women who in Canada and around the world are targeted simply for the fact that they're women. Um, Justin Trudeau wanted to have no part in in allowing 
either his party to vote their conscience, nor even himself to allow himself to say that, yes, killing babies because they're baby girls is actually wrong. Definitely showing that, no, if if I'm going to be a feminist, I have to be willing to kill the very girls that I'm pretending to defend um, by enabling and allowing abortion access in in as many scenarios and circumstances as possible, right? Yeah, that's right. And you mentioned abortion overseas as well. Uh, and I just want to highlight that in 2019, I think we've talked about this briefly before, but uh, Trudeau uh, pledged an increase to funding for what he called women's health services worldwide uh, from the current $1.1 billion that we're sending overseas for that to $1.4 billion by 2023. Um, so the, the increase includes raising $700 million from $400 million, uh, the ad- amount dedicated to sexual and reproductive health. Now, as good as this might sound, number one, we all know that sexual and reproductive health uh, doesn't always mean sexual and reproductive health because reproductive health doesn't have anything to do with abortion in a sense. Reproductive rights are reproductive rights after reproduction has taken place is when the pre-born, preborn child exists. And once the preborn child exists, reproduction has happened. And that's when abortion is considered. And so, so that's one thing. We know that this means abortion. But on the other side, we talked about in a previous Pulse episode, I think it was Pulse May or June, um, where we just highlight important and interesting pro-life news from around the world. We highlighted that David Mulroney, who is a former Canadian ambassador, he served as the ambassador of Canada to the People's Republic of China from 2009 to 2012. He's a distinguished fellow at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. And he also served as secretary to the Independent Panel on Canada's Future Role in Afghanistan. This is not just some average bloke, uh, but this is a guy who's actually accomplished things in life, especially representing Canada on the international stage. This is what he said. He said, the Trudeau government is using foreign policy as an exotic stage from which to tell stories to its supporters back in Canada. This is really a cynical political move. And you might ask, what does he mean by this? And this is what he means. He noted that while many Canadians are under the impression that Canada's development work involves sending out Canadian aid workers and asking people what they want in uh, underdeveloped countries. That's not really, really the case. Uh, David Mulroney goes on to say, and I quote, really, a lot of this is just cutting checks to Planned Parenthood, Mary Stopes International, Pathfinders. These are groups that have their roots in the early 20th century in things like eugenics and racism. It's a very bizarre Team Canada to be bringing to Africa. As a former public servant, the problem I have with our for our feminist foreign policy in which abortion is central to our development work in Africa is that good foreign policy and good development policy depend on actually listening to the people you're trying to help or engage. We don't appear to be doing this in Africa. We're going into countries that have shown significant opposition in their polling and in their laws to abortion. And we've announced our programs for Africa, which will come to about $750 million a year We've identified one of our objectives as addressing social norms, by which we mean changing them, changing laws and regulations, despite the fact that these are African social norms and African laws and regulations, end quote. 
Now, this is Justin Trudeau's feminism, not listening to women in other parts of the world, especially women in parts of the world where abortion is illegal and abortion is not something that people support. We've talked to Samuel Say, our friend from Ghana as well, and he talked about the law and he talked about the culture that people don't support women, uh, support abortion. And yet this is something that the West continues to push as hard as possible. And, and that's what Trudeau is doing, forcing his terrible solution of abortion onto a... Um, yeah, in African country and other countries like this. And and Mulroney calls this neo-colonialism. He said, it's precisely what we promised not to do in the wake of the residential school discussions and the self-education we appear to have done in the wake of the residential schools. But he said, we're doing precisely the same same thing in Africa. We're, we're displaying this sort of neo-colonialism in Africa, but he says on a much broader scale. And this is the mentality that we have. We know best we're not interested in listening and we're going to change your society until it's more like ours. And he says there's a high de degree of hypocrisy in all of this. Cam, what do you make of, of sort of this discussion that David Mulrooney had? Yeah, so I, I think he, he hits the nail on the head. And and right at the end there, you you nail it, that, that this hypocrisy of neocolonialism and basically overriding the desires of the place that we're going into. I mean, we, we talk all the time of, Obviously, Peter, you and I have been accused by by many of the trolls that have patrolled our Facebook page and Instagram page and all that kind of stuff of mansplaining and and mansplaining being a thing that that is a legitimate thing. I, I will admit, and and I apologize if I have or continue to to kind of overstep the the appropriate bounds of of conversation and whatnot. Um, but but how is this Cam Cam? What's that? Cam, some people say that this entire podcast is us mansplaining. So depends on depends on your definition there. But yeah, I agree that there's there's certainly an opportunity for that. Depends on your your definition, but it's hard to have a definition that doesn't include going into a foreign country and saying, Oh, this is what the women of your country want. No, sorry, this is what the women of your country need. Whether we're mansplainers or not, um, I will leave to the, the jury of public um, discourse and opinion. If you accuse us of, us of being mansplaining, I do not how, know how you could not accuse Justin Trudeau and his liberal government in this neo-colonialist act of, of trying to correct the social norms of these other countries and not listening to what they want or what they say they need, but rather saying, no, this is actually what you need to thrive as a society. You need to start killing more of your children. Um, seems absolutely bonkers, but we'll leave that uh, in the wake as well. I think the the moral of this discussion, as as I've mentioned throughout, is how do we actually care for women? How do we actually care for women in our day-to-day -day lives? And how do politicians actually care for women? It's not by throwing abortion at them. It's not by um, inviting them and encouraging them and allowing them to, to kill their children at greater um, extent and greater volume and with greater convenience, but rather by genuinely supporting them, by genuinely addressing the challenges that they are encountering, by truly loving and caring for them. If if we're not going to approach somebody that we care deeply about who uh, maybe, maybe even says they don't want to have abortion, but they feel like it's their only option, does that, does that lead you to saying, okay, well, let me make this abortion far easier? Or does that lead you to say, how do I help you? How do I serve you? How do I care for you in a way that is going to result in you not needing to kill your child, getting the, the true support, the genuine support that you actually need? And so I, I think that that's what I'm trying to take away from this, Peter. I, I'm sure there's other thoughts and lessons that we can take away as well. But at the end of the day, in, in my mind, this is simply 
an exposition of you are not a good quote unquote, a good feminist politician simply by throwing abortion at your constituents and by at people around the world who didn't even vote for you, but rather um, you become a good defender of women's rights by genuinely um, engaging them and discerning what it is that they truly need in whatever circumstance they may find themselves in, whether that's better parental support, whether that's better maternity leave, whether that's better sex education and, and um, how to prevent these unplanned pregnancies in the first place, that, that is a different discussion than we make women equal in Canada by being willing to kill their children for them. Yeah, that's that's 100%. It, the policies of, of Justin Trudeau and his lifestyle, like you said, they're not really designed to help everyday women. They're they're certainly, you know, they're designed really to push abortion. And and the other things are in many ways sort of this uh, virtue signal, um, certainly in light of the behaviors that he has shown and highlighted. And, and there's more to talk about, Cam. We're going to slowly start to wrap this up. But there's more to talk about. I think about uh, Elbowgate. Do you remember <laughs> Elbowgate? Yeah. Uh, when Justin Trudeau walked to the other side of Parliament, uh, sort of the House of Commons, uh, pushed an NDP female member of Parliament out of the way just sort of like elbowed her out of the way to, to get to the person that he wanted to get to. I think about some of the weird feminist type language that he's used. Uh, there was a, a town hall event that he was at. Uh, this was, perhaps was last year, two years ago now. Not last year, because that was 2020. So two or three years ago now. And uh, he was at this town hall event and this woman was asking him a question and he interrupted her because she said mankind. And of course, women can't say mankind because uh, he had to uh, correct her uh, and say that we actually use the word people kind. Now, uh, the other day he was talking about how women can recover from uh, sort of the COVID pandemic restrictions that he and other uh, other politicians have sort of put in put in place. And he talked about turning the she session into a she covery. Um, I had to listen to that a number of times just to <laughs> sort of understand the the verbal nonsense that was coming out of his mouth and and try to try to make sense of it all. But yeah, I, I, and I think you highlighted it really well, uh, Cam, in that his support for abortion is sort of this justification for him to do the other things that he does. Um, he's allowed to get away with some of the things that he does. The, the Canadian mainstream media allows him to get away with it because he's, he's sort of this perfect uh, ideologue and, and perfect person in place for the abortion war, the abortion conversation, and to make sure that abortion access remains sort of top of top of mind and top of priority here in Canada, but like we talked about also other parts of the world as well. And so this is Justin Trudeau. This is his feminism. It means kicking people out of uh, out of his caucus. It means kicking people uh, out of the status for uh, women committee um, and making sure that they don't get in. Uh, it's uh, for it's about sort of understating and underselling his involvement in groping allegations and so on and so forth. And so sort of the point of this uh, in the midst of this election season is if you want to support someone who actually cares about women and girls, if you want to support someone who is going to stand up, who has a track record for defending and protecting women and girls, both within the womb and without, then it's important not to vote for Justin Trudeau uh, as the next prime minister of Canada's 44th parliament. Justin Trudeau is not the man he thinks he is. His, uh, his history and his behaviors have indicated that. Cam, any final words, sir, before we 
close this down, wrap it up. No, the, I mean, the only thing that I'll mention is, is to point people towards a very cool conversation that we had with our friend and colleague, Scott Hayward, um, a couple of weeks ago now. Um, great conversation about how pro-lifers can make a concrete impact in this upcoming Canadian election. Um, we can use this as a lightning rod towards further um, educational change and, and supportive change and whatnot. Um, Thankfully, there's very few Canadians that actually even have the opportunity to vote for Justin Trudeau, um, only those in his writing. Um, it was a great conversation with Scott about how to leverage and how to optimize the impact of your pro-life worldview in this upcoming election. So we'll, we'll include a, a link to that in the show notes, um, but definitely check that out. A very, very good conversation on how we can make things happen in this upcoming election. So that, that's the only one for me, though. Perfect. I'd like to uh, highlight for people that if they want to get involved in the work that the Pro-Life Guys podcast is doing, not just not just having conversations, which we love sitting down in front of our microphones, Cam, and chatting with one another and just sharing some of the things that we've learned to some of the others. But if you want to get involved in making sure that good pro-life apologetics makes it out to the world uh, with good quality sound, good quality video, and so on and so forth. And if you want the opportunity to get a shirt like the one that Cameron Cote is wearing then go check out uh our patreon page patreon.com slash pro-life guys become a patron of the pro-life guys podcast and be um yeah just uh partner with us in doing the work that we're doing trying to change our culture from a culture of death to one that defends and respects all life you can do that patreon.com slash pro-life guys you can also connect to us on our website prolifeguys.com or on, or on our social media platforms. We're hoping we get Instagram back. We, we, we still don't have our Instagram. Anyway, at time of recording, we don't have our Instagram account. So you might be listening to this thinking, yeah, your Instagram's up. Um, why do you, what are you talking about? But at time of recording, it's not up. We're hoping it comes back up. We're kind of frustrated that, that it's not up at this point and that we were kicked out because of community standards or whatever we did to, uh, yeah, sort of lose, lose love from Instagram. But check us out on Facebook. And on, uh, on Twitter and wherever else you do your content, find us on YouTube if you're listening to this or on your favorite podcast catcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, if you're watching this as well. So uh, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to stay tuned with everything we're doing. And we thank you so much for tuning in. And we hope you tune in again next time.